Amen. Please remain standing if you're able, and let's turn together to chapter 45 of Genesis. Page 38 in the Blue Bible, Genesis 45. This is God's holy word. May he bless it to our hearing. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt. And of all that you have seen, hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck, and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this, load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households, and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. And you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, Do this, take wagons 
from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come and have no concern for your goods for the best of the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Israel did so and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for their journey to each and all of them he gave a change of clothes But to Benjamin, he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father, he sent as follows, 10 donkeys loaded with good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away. And as they departed, he said to them, do not quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. Well, this whole story of Joseph, this whole narrative that we've been reading uh, for several chapters now, shows us God's providence uh, in so many wonderful ways. But here, chapter 45 uh, especially highlights how God had been behind the scenes directing all these events. And even the problems, the tests, and the trials, the bad things that have happened. Now, the people in this story, of course, had their roles to play. They were responsible for their actions. But God is the the main character in this drama. He is the one who uh, is directing all things toward his own good purposes and for the good of his people, for his glory. And it's good for us to know this. God's providence uh, is important for us to understand and to think about. It's good for us spiritually to, uh, to understand it and to believe it and to enjoy believing it. Uh, it's not some lofty doctrine that's only for uh, theologians to contemplate. It's for every Christian, and it is for our benefit. It is for us to gain comfort and to be strengthened by. You know, at times, this truth of God's providence in our lives, it may be the only thing at times that gives you um, courage and strength and comfort to to keep going, knowing that your God is at work and that he's working out everything that you're going through. 
He's working out everything according to his perfect plans. And he's able to bring an even better outcome than you could possibly even imagine. That's a great comfort to us. I don't know about you, but it certainly is to me. And the world doesn't have that kind of comfort and that kind of hope. But we do as believers in Christ. We do because this God is our God. And he's working all things in that way according to his good purpose. And we can know and we can rest in that truth. that His providence is always exceedingly good. Well, chapter 44 ended with a, a, a kind of a tense situation, a very, very tense situation. Joseph had uh, set up his brothers, we said. You remember, he set them up by uh, putting them to another test. He put that silver cup in Benjamin's sack as he went on their way back to their father in Canaan. And then he told the brothers, after they were caught in this and brought back to Egypt, he told them, Benjamin's going to be my slave. And the rest of you, out of here. Go back to your father. You have to leave the boy with me. He's going to be my servant. He was really putting them to another very difficult test. And you remember Judah... One of the brothers stood up and spoke up, and he gave a very emotional appeal. And he begged Joseph not to do this. He begged Joseph to let him take the place of Benjamin. Make me your slave instead of him. He was offering himself as a substitute. And he did this because he's been changed. He's a man who actually cares about others now. Uh, prior to this, he wasn't that kind of man. Uh, but we see him acting here in real, genuine love. Love for his brother Benjamin and love for their father Jacob. He doesn't want Jacob to be devastated by this news that his son's been enslaved, his youngest son, his only remaining son from his beloved wife. <clears throat> So it's a beautiful thing we see this brother Judah doing, a beautiful display of love and self-sacrifice. And of course, as we said last week, this shows us a beautiful picture of God the Father and his love for us and Christ's love for the church, Christ's sacrificial love, laying down his life as a substitute for us. Jesus is our substitute who made the ultimate sacrifice, dying in our place to save us from all our sins and what we deserve. Well, after listening to Judah and his emotional appeal, Joseph was very much moved by this. He knows what a rotten man Judah was, along with the other older brothers. He was an immoral man. He was an unloving, uncaring man. He didn't care about Joseph. 
didn't care about his father Jacob and how he would be grieved by the loss of Joseph. He was the one who suggested that they sell Joseph into slavery. But now Joseph sees that he's a changed man. Judah has really changed. And now we go on to see Joseph's response to what he's been seeing and hearing. We're told he couldn't control himself. He cried, make everyone go out. And then he made himself known to his brothers. He had all the Egyptians leave. And, but he, he wept so loudly that uh, the Egyptians could clearly hear it. And we're told the whole household of Pharaoh heard him crying out like this. And we see Joseph's affection for his brothers here. He's crying out out of his love for them. And they must have been so shocked to, to see him behaving this way. Uh, why would this high official of Pharaoh, the second in command, uh, be weeping and wailing and behaving this way? And then he told them. He said, I am Joseph. And they were stunned. They were completely rocked by this. They probably didn't know what to do. I wonder if some of them just fell over and fell down on their faces in shock. And in the same breath, he asked about his father. But they were too stunned to even answer. They're just stunned that he's identified himself as their brother. They couldn't even speak. They probably wanted to run and hide. Their guilt for what they had done to him surely came crashing down on their heads. I think they were already feeling guilty. We saw that in the previous chapters, but now it must have just hit them like a wall falling on them. They're basically paralyzed with fear. And when Joseph saw this, he said to them, Come near to me, please. He said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. But notice he speaks gently to them here. Come near to me. And yet he also spoke the truth. He's comforting them, but he's also confronting them with the reality of their sin. I am the same Joseph that you sold as a slave. And that might have increased their fear, but then he further comforted them. He said, do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me here to preserve life. For the famine has been here these two years, and there are five more years of this famine. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep you alive and many survivors. And he says, so it was not you who sent me here, but God. He 
has done this. He made me a father to Pharaoh. He made me Lord over all his house. He, God, made me ruler over all the land of Egypt. Listen to how Joseph speaks with such a completely God-centered view of everything. Everything that's happened, it was God. Even all the pain and betrayal that he suffered at the hands of these wicked brothers. Joseph saying, it was the Lord. Again, he also spoke very gently to his brothers. He spoke to them without anger, without resentment. Notice that. That's a significant thing. After all they've done to him, he speaks to them kindly and gently like this. He's let go of those things, the anger and the resentment that he surely struggled with, probably for years, as he served in Potiphar's house, as he uh, was a, a prisoner in the jail, and then a servant to Pharaoh. He had let go of all that resentment. He'd forgiven them. But it was his view of God that enabled him to do that. It was this strong view of God and his sovereignty and his perfect providence. That's what made this possible. He says, yes, y'all are responsible. You sold me, but God sent me. Isn't that beautiful? We see the human responsibility and the sovereignty of God. They're not at odds. They're, uh, they're t- uh, in perfect harmony. It's not one or the other. It's both. You sold me, but God sent me. And he had learned this, Joseph had. And he'd learned through learning this, that he could rest in God's providence. And he just keeps emphasizing God's sovereignty and his providence over all things. Again, over and over, even over the sin of these brothers against him. Now, they're responsible for their sin, and he's clear about that. He's not blaming God for the evil that these men did. They were responsible for their evil. God is not the author of sin, but it's, it's just a mystery. We can't, we, can't, uh, we can't make complete sense of how this all works, but God ordained all this. He ordained this whole process. It was his plan to bring about his far greater purposes, far greater than uh, what would have been a a nice, comfortable existence for Joseph growing up in his father's house. This was something so much bigger and better. Joseph was resting in his God and his good working. He's trusting in God and his perfect providence. Well, we all have to learn to do that. If you don't, you're going to be very frustrated in life. We have to learn to trust in God's providence, especially when bad things happen to you, especially when 
people wrong you, if you don't rest in God's sovereignty when people hurt you, all you're going to be able to do is think about how evil that person was, and you're going to obsess over it, and it's going to derail your life. You'll be living with hatred. You'll be living with anger and resentment. It'll be impossible uh, or, or nearly impossible for you to forgive them or even to consider forgiving them. And then you're going to be a, a slave yourself, a slave to that unforgiveness and all those negative emotions. But knowing that God is the one behind all things. God is the one who ordains all things for his greater purposes. Even those sins, even those devastating hurts, and that he uses them and does that for a far greater purpose. And we believe that, and it can be quite a process for us getting to the point where we do believe that and rest in it. But we do when we do, it's so good for us. It frees us to forgive and to move toward reconciliation. Now, notice part of the process here was that Joseph did not sweep their sin under the rug as if it was nothing. He didn't downplay it. No, he did not. He put it right before their faces. He reminded them you sold me. You did evil to me. You really hurt me. But then we also see that he let it go. He released them from it. And he could do that because he knows that ultimately it was God's will to let that evil happen so that greater good would come from it, far greater good. And I encourage you all to think that way about every wrong that has ever been committed against you and every one that is going to be committed against you by other people. God is sovereign over all those things, over all things without exception. And he will use that wrong, he will use that evil for his glory and for your greater good and probably in ways far beyond you uh, and the people around you who are impacted by that. That has bigger purposes than we know in our sufferings. And may that knowledge free you to forgive the people who wrong you. And may it enable you even to praise and thank God for his perfect, wise, mysterious providence. He is good unceasingly, and his works are always good. But it's also important to see here that his, uh, Joseph's brothers here showed clear signs of repentance. I said last week that uh, it's important that we forgive others who wrong us 
even if they do not repent. And I say that because we can't live with the weight of anger and resentment. It will tear us up. We will end up being the one who suffers the most if you refuse to forgive someone. It'll hurt you more than it will hurt them. But that said, it is extremely hard to do. It's extremely hard to forgive someone when they've not repented and we've not seen clear, credible repentance from them. And I would go so far as to say that apart from God's grace, I don't believe a person can forgive someone like that. It makes it so much easier to forgive a person when they come to you and apologize and say, I'm so sorry for what I did. I know it was wrong. It was terrible. Please forgive me. But when you don't get that, you have a choice to make. You can either forgive them nonetheless or you can suffer under the weight of that anger and resentment and bitterness. But the reality is we need God's grace to do this. We need God to empower us to do this. And that's something that y'all should get very used to. We are not um, capable of any good work apart from God's grace enabling us. We need to be beggars of God's grace to enable us to do anything good, whether it's just um, obeying um, any uh, command of Scripture or um, this matter of forgiveness. We don't have it in us, the strength to do this on our own. You need God's power. And he gives grace to his people, and we need to seek it. You might have to do this, go through this process again and again. Every day, you might have to beg God to help you forgive that person day after day, and it might go on for a long time. I think it does get easier over time. But reconciliation, you need to think about full reconciliation as something distinct from forgiveness. Forgiveness is something you can grant to a person. But reconciliation is the healing of that relationship. And I don't believe that you can be fully reconciled to someone who has hurt you, who has sinned against you like that, unless they do repent. It just won't work because you need to see that they've changed. You need to see that they sincerely um, have sorrow over their sins against you, that their mind has changed about what they did to you, that their behavior has changed, that they're not going to keep doing that to you. You need to see repentance for real reconciliation to occur. And that's what Joseph's heart was longing for. He'd been working on forgiving them, but he wanted the reconciliation. And when he finally began to see here how his brothers had really changed and how he was seeing it through the, the words and actions of Judah, he was so happy. I think that's why he cried out like this. I think it's why he started wailing at the top of his lungs. He was so thankful to see these brothers, these wretched brothers that had done so much wrong to him, 
finally, they've changed. Their hearts have changed. And any remaining anger that he had was melting away right then and there. And he just let go of their wrongs. And any, any remaining anger he had toward them. And he embraced them wholeheartedly. That's what's happening here. Reconciliation. Now in verses 9 to 13, Joseph speaks again. He wants his family to be together. And so he sends his brothers. Uh, so quickly he speaks about this. He, he wants to send them home to get their father Jacob and everyone else with them. He wants them all to come to Egypt. He says, hurry now and go. Get my father. Tell him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. And he goes on and says, come down to me. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. You shall be near me and your children and your children's children. Now take a, take a minute and look at those verses when you have time, verses 9 through 13. Here again, you see how God-centered, how really radically God-centered Joseph is. He says, tell our father what God has done for me. He's not saying, he doesn't say, tell him that I'm the big man in Egypt. I'm the Lord of Egypt. Now, the first thing he wants his father to know after all these years is about God. Let me tell you what God has done for me. Go tell father what God has done so graciously for Joseph. He's giving God glory. And he tells him, hurry, hurry, go get him. I want to see my father. But before they leave, we see the, the reconciliation, the sweetness of their reconciliation. We're told Joseph fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. And he then kissed all his brothers and wept on them. And after this, his brothers talked with him. This is a beautiful moment of reconciliation between former enemies. Those brothers had made themselves Joseph's enemy, enemies. This is beautiful. Tears of joy being shed all around. And, and, and finally, these terrified brothers uh, were able to, to have their fears subside, and they, they were able to talk with Joseph. It seems like they were struck silent by fear, but now they're able to talk to him. You know, thinking back some 20 years prior to this, There's a passage that says they hated him so much they couldn't even speak to him. And now they're speaking to him. God in his grace had changed their hearts. That hatred has dissolved. It's so beautiful to see this scene. Never doubt that God can bring about real healing 
and re reconciliation, real reconciliation between bitter enemies. That's what we're seeing here. But remember, too, how this happened. So much of it had to do with Joseph and his brothers coming to understand and recognize and believe in God's good providence over their lives. There's something very powerful about that, something transformative when you begin to understand and embrace the knowledge of God's sovereignty over your life. That can in just uh, destroy bitterness. It can melt away hatred. So I encourage you to trust in God's sovereignty. Believe this beautiful truth. And trust in what he's doing in your lives, personally, in the good times and the bad times, when it's hard to trust. Just know that he is good and he's always doing good, even through the worst evils that come into our lives. Well, then we see Pharaoh enter into the story. He's uh, making an appearance, and we see his generosity here. He, uh, he gives them wagons to go back to get, Joseph, or to get Jacob with and to bring back the children with. And he says, I give you the best of the land of Egypt. Isn't that amazing? You know, we know the story of what happens to the Israelites in Egypt, but this is how it all started. It all started so beautifully, so well. Pharaoh blesses them with the very best land of Egypt. Of course, it's going to end in 400 years of slavery, and God would use that evil for good, too, for great good. But this is how it started in this beautiful way with the best of Egypt given to Jacob and his descendants. Only God could bring something like this about. And he did it through all that suffering and those trials of Joseph. Now we see Joseph clothing his brothers. He gives them fresh uh, clothing fine new garments, probably some fine linen garments, maybe Egyptian cotton, who knows. But this reminds us of something further back. Joseph's brothers took Joseph's fine garment, that coat of many colors that his father gave him, and they destroyed it took it away from him and soaked it in the blood of an animal and told their father Joseph was killed by a wild beast. Well, now he gives them, the same Joseph gives them what they took from him, gives them these fine new garments to wear. Again, that shows us this man's heart, Joseph's heart has been changed. He's not full of bitterness and resentment. If he was before, it's gone now. 
He blesses his former enemies. And then he gave a much larger gift to Benjamin, just like at the meal when he gave a larger portion, much larger portion of food from his table to his youngest brother. Here he gives him 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothing. And the beautiful thing about that is there's no jealousy among the brothers. At least we're not told. There's not not even a hint of jealousy. They're probably so humbled by all this, so shocked, so thankful to see the kind heart of Joseph toward them. They'd let go of all those old bad feelings if there were any remaining at this point. And again, this is beautiful evidence of God's grace working in the hearts of these men, working to change them. And Joseph said to them as they left, it's so uh, neat to hear this. He says, don't quarrel on the way. Don't quarrel. He knew. He didn't want them fighting about the past and blaming each other. He was probably seeing them look at each other like, oh, maybe they wanted to blame one or the other. And he knows that when they get back home, guess what? They're going to have to tell their father the truth of what really happened some 20 years ago, what they really did to Joseph. So you can imagine, they might be worried about that, and they might start to, to squabble about it placing the blame on one or the other. Joseph says, don't. Don't do it. This is a time for joy. This is a time for thanksgiving, not quarreling. So then they left. They got on their way. They went home to their father, Jacob. And when they got there, they immediately told him the good news. Joseph is still alive. He's ruler over all of Egypt. And he was so stunned by this, he didn't believe them. ESV says his heart was numb. I think he probably still didn't trust his sons. He didn't trust them before they left. He probably doesn't trust them at this point either, especially if they unpacked to him what they'd really done to Joseph. Their sins had ruined his trust in them. That's what sin does to relationships. But finally, he did believe. He heard the words of Joseph through them, and he saw the things that Joseph had sent. And we're told the spirit of Jacob revived. And he said, That's enough. I believe. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I'll go see him before I die. What a turnaround in this man. You know, he's been so down, so despairing uh, about everything that's happened, uh, about having to send uh, his youngest son, Benjamin, back down there. He was afraid he'd lose him again. He did, he'd lost all faith in his other sons. Uh, he probably so depressed he uh, was ready to die. It looks as if he's half dead. 
But then after getting the news, this good news, that Joseph is alive, he's revived. It's like his youth is renewed. He comes back to life before our eyes. It almost looks like the disciples of Jesus after they learned that he was risen from the dead. They were changed people. And Jacob is like a new man here. He's revived by this good news. Of course, this is more than just Jacob being glad, happy that his son was still alive. Uh, Many commentators believe that he, Jacob, was remembering those old dreams that Joseph had had about the whole family coming before Joseph and bowing down before him. I think he'd already been uh, beginning uh, to ponder those dreams, that they might be true, and now he saw that they were, in fact, coming true. They were a real revelation from God. He believed. He believed it was God's will for him to go to Egypt. Otherwise, it might have been hard to pry him out of the promised land because he knew that's where he belonged. And so he takes this journey by faith, believing that this is God's good providence and God's purpose for him. So in the end, we see this great reconciliation here, this family that was so torn apart by jealousy and hatred, and it led to so much suffering and turmoil, and it looked impossible that there would ever be uh, any good to come of this, much less reconciliation, and yet look at how God has done it. God, by his providence, has brought a beautiful healing of those relationships. Only God could do that. Only God can heal wounds like this and bring people back together like this. But even more important than those family relations that we see here being healed was the bigger picture of what God was doing here. Again, this is all about God's old covenant promise. His old promise to Abraham and to Isaac And to Jacob, God is fulfilling his promise. He's going to do, just as he said, he's going to form them into a great nation, too great to number. He's going to do it right there in Egypt. They're going to multiply like the sand of the sea there. And God would bring about even greater good than that. That's only a partial fulfillment of God's old promise to the patriarchs. The real fulfillment comes some 2,000 years later, 2,000 years ago from our perspective, when out of the tribe of Judah, the promised Savior would come, the Savior of Israel, and the Savior of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he came to bring about real reconciliation between God and man. We can have 
real reconciliation to God because of the forgiveness of our sins through Jesus Christ. When we come to him in faith and in repentance, God is well pleased. He is delighted to receive us and to forgive all our sins and to forget them, to cast them behind his back. But again, it was God's providence as we end looking at this passage. Remember, it was God's providence that brought all this about, brought this whole great plan to fulfillment. I think that tells us something. God knows what he's doing. And we can trust him. We can trust that he knows what he's doing by his providence in the world, in human history, and in all our individual lives, right down to the very details. He knows what he's doing. And we can trust him. Let's do that. Trust in him at all times, even in the hardest of times. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for, for showing us your beautiful providence at work, reminding us that your providence is always perfect, it is wise, it is good. Your purposes are good. And you accomplish your purposes not only for the world, but for us, each of us as your people. Please convince our hearts of this and of the goodness of your, your providence so that we will trust in you completely and be able to rest in your sovereign hands uh, in our hard times as well as in our good times. Please apply our word, uh, your word to our hearts. We pray that you would give us hearts to receive it. Help us to trust in you and to walk in your ways. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.